1994, a man released an album. <laughs> this is already kind of hard for me. Uh, the glass that will ease all my pain that will settle my brain here's my first one today the stains the glass that will hide all my fears that will settle my ears Brother, I'm on my way I'm wondering where you are tonight I'm wondering if you are all right I'm wondering do you think of me In my misery There stands the glass Fill it up to the brim till my troubles grow dim it's my first one today there stands the glass oh how it beckoned to me how I long to be free it's my first one today Versecourseverse.com Versecourse Universe IMDL How is everybody doing today? Welcome to episode 171 It's just me I'm sorry You don't get any evil Well, you get evil But you get my evil Which is big evil My evil is big You don't get the evil And you don't get the Rachel, uh, she is currently in Glasgow. She's currently in Scotland. How's everybody doing? How is the season going so far? Hopefully it's going well. We're having a lot of fun. I've actually recently recorded the episode you're going to see next week, episodes, spoiler. And uh, God, we just had so much fun doing that, so much fun. Evil and I uh, really, really enjoy the music of 1994 which is what we're talking about this year almost fully. There are a couple episodes that we aren't going to be full 94 on, and that's okay. That is okay. We've got, I, I'm sure we, we're still doing three listener-supporteds this year. As you know, we, we do a rotation. We do three different rotations every year, and uh, there's a listener-supported in each one of those where we have a listener on to talk about one of their favorite albums, and we're not going to make people hold it to 94. Although one of the listeners did do an album from 94, which I am so glad that he did because we need at least one episode to cover that bad boy. But other than that, I mean, I'd say, you know, 90% of this year at least is going to be 1994. We're still going to do the season finale where we talk about the best albums of this year. We're still going to do the quick fires. I know that that's most of your favorite episodes that we do. So we will still dissect new albums from the year 
go through those. We're doing all that. No problem there. Uh, and we're going to do some Break It Down episodes too again this year. Those went really, really well. We love doing them and the feedback was really good. So we are going to keep doing the breakdowns where Evil Rachel and I each bring a song to the fold, to the foe, to the fold, and we dissect them. It's fun. But I'm also still going to be doing my own episodes. And I, you know, I enjoy, there is something freeing in knowing that 110% of the research of what you're going to have to bring to the table is on you. There's no mystery of uh, what is this person going to bring to the table and how am I going to smoothly incorporate that? Not that it's hard, evil and Rachel are always very good at bringing a unique point of view that just settles in nicely, uh, as you will see next week. So we're having fun with it, okay? And hopefully you all are too. We've, what have we done so far this year? Well, we dissected Stone Temple Pilots. If you're a fan of Stone Temple Pilots, go back and listen to that. And then listen to the episode after where we talked about purple. And if it was a 10 out of 10, spoiler, it was. It was one of the highest rated albums that we've done on this podcast so far. Sven and I talked about Dave Matthews himself. We are going to actually do six parts this year. Sven and I will be doing six parts on the Dave Matthews band. We're covering Dave, we're going to cover Carter, and then we're going to cover the rest of the band. And I think we can do it all in six parts, I hope. And then at the end, I don't think Sven will because he just doesn't like their studio albums that much, but I will rank the Dave Matthews Band discography, and we'll see how much you all disagree with me on that one. We had our first Here's Where You're Wrong episode. Rachel and I do that a few times every year. This, we usually try to pick something we're gonna argue about, and it didn't really work out this time. There wasn't any arguing to be had. What we did is we talked about some of the video content. Now, I am terrible at this, so it's very much my fault, but, we have not, uh, our listener growth is still happening on the podcast, so no complaints. And hey, if it ends up just being a podcast thing, I am great with a an audio podcast thing. I'm great with that. Our audio podcast community has not really started to transfer over to YouTube yet. We do not get a lot of views on YouTube. And a lot of that is because I don't promote it on here. I don't tell you guys very often that we are on YouTube at the beginning of the episodes. I save it for the end like an idiot and then you guys have no idea what's going on. But hey, everyone, every single podcast episode is now available on video on YouTube. I'm hoping eventually it's going to be somewhere other than YouTube as well. It might not happen this year, but we're working on it. We have a man in the wings working hard, hard. And my mic is a little bit lower than I want it. Sorry about that. Head over to YouTube, check out some of the videos if you want. If not, hey, if audio is your thing, totally cool. But you know, our, our audio listenership still raising. Spotify is still going up there. iTunes still going up there. Uh, even Amazon, a little bit, not so much. Uh, YouTube, not really going anywhere, but I mean, hey, we've, I'm recording this and we've done three episodes. So a little bit unfair for me to judge it yet. I got to give it a year or two, right? See where we land. I just feel like video podcasting is the way things are going, especially with what's happening with Spotify, which 
I don't want to get into that yet. Spoiler alert, I have another Me Alone episode coming up. You're not going to want to miss that. It's going to be a doozy. I am calling out everybody, including us in this entire industry. I'm going to call out you musicians. I'm going to call out you fans. I'm going to call out us podcasters. Um, it's going to be an hour long bitch fest and some of you are going to really enjoy it and most of you might hate it, but it's going to be a little bit of a, a cleansing of the demons for me. I've got a little bit to say and you poor saps have to hear it or you can turn it off, whatever. Today we are here for something a little more serious and a little more close to home, a little more personal for me. Every year I try to do a little bit of a... Maybe we should be paying more attention to this artist. Maybe tell the story about a specific artist a little bit. I've covered Ronnie Spector. I did an episode on Mark Lanigan. All these I have so much fun doing because I learn so much about these artists that I've loved forever. So many little things that I didn't know. And sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing. Maybe I'll just get to that now. I have to put a disclaimer in this episode and I got a little bit, I got a little bit caught off guard and let me explain this to you. I'm about to talk about a gentleman that has meant he changed my life musically. He really did. Discovering this person, this artist opened up complete new fields for me on how to emotionally attach yourself to music you write and what, emotion really sounds like behind music. Today I'm going to be talking about the one, the only uh, Ted Hawkins, who is no longer with us. He passed away in 1995. But before I get into anything, I studied this. I studied for this for a few weeks, pulled a bunch of research. I did, a, you know, configuring exactly what I wanted to say in this episode, exactly how I wanted to say it, as I always do. And yesterday, yesterday, I saved one specific part of research for right before I was going to, I was going to record this last night. This man was in and out of jail and prison a lot because of um, minor offenses, drugs. What I wanted to do to cap off the research was I wanted to get a list of dates on when he was in and out of jail, just to spew it off real fast, give you a, just give you a feel of really how much this guy ended up having to be in jail. And what I found was there is a piece of information that I'm, I need to tell you up front before the episode, which is that there, there is a charge in this man's life for uh, child molestation due to indecent exposure, having to do with somebody underage due to indecent exposure. Once again, uh, I've, I haven't really had enough time to wrap my own head around this. I'm sure that there's a couple of you that are saying, why would you do this episode? But I talked to a couple people about it to try to wrap my head around it, and I'm still going to do it. I'm still doing this episode. I am not going to let uh, an action ruin, and this is something that Evil said to me, and I really appreciate that Evil said it. I'm not going to let the action of an artist ruin, even if it's from him, ruin art that has meant so much to me my whole life. I'm not gonna let that happen. 
Uh, I would akin it to all of the people that thanked the Cosby show for showing black people that, you know, you can, you can have a successful life being a doctor living in an upper class community, just like anybody else. That feeling that people had in the eighties that doesn't go away because of what Cosby did now. Sure. He is a piece of shit, but that doesn't change what the message was. And I'm not going to let whatever happened change me and my need for what this art meant to me. I wanted to put that disclaimer out first because I absolutely understand if your opinion is I shouldn't even be touching this guy with a 10 foot pole. I get it. Hopefully we'll see you in the next episode, but I am going to talk about this because it's very important to me. There's your disclaimer. Who needs a drink? Should we get to that now? <laughs> Cause we all need one. Uh, what a witcher. Well, a serious night for a serious artist, uh, some, some meaningful stuff. Why would you drink anything other than straight tequila? This is just a Blanco. This is mi campo, hundred percent agave, a gagadoom, a gagadoom. That's what I'm drinking. Plain and simple. 40% by alcohol by volume, 100% de agave tequila. Maybe I'll take another one. Because, <clears throat> yes. Having a lot of fun with the pod. Gonna record something else today as well that I'm excited for. Hey, one other thing I'll say before we get to Mr. Ted Hawkins is this is the fifth, maybe, full episode video that I'm going to record, edit, and slap out. Uh, be patient with us, people. Be patient. I'm hearing the feedback. I understand that, which the feedback is still positive on the podcast, but I have gotten a few people say that, hey, uh, parts of the videos are a little rough, and you are absolutely right. They're a little rough. I have a two-month-old kid. I'm not editing the way that I once was. I don't have time. Even if I could, I can't because video editing is a whole other beast. But we are, I'm telling you that we're all doing our homework to ensure that our practices improve in the middle of episodes, that the actions that we're doing mid-episode are a little more honed. So <coughs> just edited out a cough. You're welcome. There are a lot of things that we're learning. We're learning now that where we thought coming into this season, we need to be really careful with us and likes. And it turns out, I mean, yeah, but no, because then the problem is, is you're concentrating so much on not saying, um, not saying like that you freeze and you pause. That is the killer. So there's, there's lots of little intricacies like this going in and out. Just be patient with us. I promise you, I'm telling you within six months, this stuff is going to be crisp. Those of you that stuck uh, with us for the Rolling Stone videos, the eight of you, you know what I'm talking about. You know, those went from 20 minutes to six to eight minutes, and now they are crisp. They are uh, to the point goodness. And we're going to get there with our episodes too. We've we've done it once or twice. I, I stand behind the ranking episode that was a perfect hour with not a lot of not a lot of bs in there 
And uh, the episode you're going to see next is it's going to be filled to the brim. So thank you so much for sticking with us. I'd say by the time we you start seeing episodes in April, we are going to be close to very much on point. Really? In 1994, a gentleman by the name Ted Hawkins released an album called The Next Hundred Years. It's one of my favorite albums of all time. Possibly, I mean, we're talking top five favorite albums of all time. Not that much is known about Mr. Hawkins. And we're going to take a look at him because not many of you know who he is. And he was a very, very special cat. So we're going to take a break, we're going to come back, and we are going to talk Ted Hawkins. We are back. Thanks for sticking around. Ted Hawkins, born in Biloxi. In 1936. Now, Biloxi was a very, very interesting town back in the 30s into the 40s. Obviously, a very, very poor community, uh, predominantly black. But once you started getting to the late 30s and the 40s, it became kind of a mini New Orleans. Um, It had a pretty infamous casino there that a lot of people in the South came to. A lovely uh, tourist wrote on a handwritten note that's actually, it's funny, it's in the one of the Biloxi museums, the hellhole, bars, bars, bars. If you, if you look at pictures, it's very much what you would picture 40s New Orleans to be just in a smaller capacity. You know, little baby Nola with a bunch of jazz bunch of blues. Ted Hawkins was a troublemaker, big shocker. I feel like whenever we talk about any musician, Ronnie Spector, uh, Howlin' Wolf, Muddy Waters, <clears throat> Johnny Cash, all, all these people are just always in trouble. But a little more, look, in Biloxi, Ted Hawkins' mom was a prostitute. Uh, he didn't know who his dad was. He never knew who his dad was. So he grew up, it would have been really hard to have not been a troublemaker. He was in and out of trouble a lot. He ended up in a multiple reform schools for violence, for fighting as a kid. You know, he also liked blues, which of course is the devil's music. So I'm sure that didn't help very much. And then he got sent to Oakley Training School. Now Oakley Training School started, uh, it's still... Wait, is it still going? Training School, Youth Development Center. Back in those days, it was a farm. It was the Oakley Farm. And it was only black kids. It was uh, black children were sent there for reform to a farm. So you understand what I'm saying this was, right? This was not a This was not a fucking reform school. This is where black kids went to work on a farm for no money. We getting it? So Ted Hawkins, that was his childhood. 
Not a great one. So much so to the fact that he started um, being a nomad at a very young age. Once he got out of there, he, he got out of everywhere. And when I say nomad, I mean, that is the ongoing theme of this is Ted Hawkins was a nomad. Ted Hawkins would disappear for years at a time. And that kept happening his entire life. It impeded everything. And it in, I have heard a couple, I've listened to a couple of interviews with him getting ready for this. And I had in the past, I, he's really been a very important artist of mine. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But he is, you can tell just by hearing him talk that there's a lot of anxiety there. There's some sort of personality issues going on. A lot of beauty in a lot of the things he says. It's, it's very complex and uh, I'll show you a, a little bit of what I'm talking about. Being the illegitimate son of a prostitute and the in his writings, you know, he, he has a, a audio book called Suffer No More. And, you know, before he even got to any of his artistry, he talks a lot about how he was very, very abused as a child. We're, we're talking about a, a man with a lot of issues. Uh, with the way he was raised moving into his adulthood, which makes his music just that much more powerful. In 1982, great year, some brilliant people born in that year, just going to say it. Uh, he had his first album come out when he was busking and Bruce Bromberg, who's a, a prominent blues producer in Chicago. And this was in the 70s. The, sorry, 1982 is when the album came out. But he started working with this gentleman in the 70s. And this gentleman, you know, saw him, heard him. Holy shit. Who is this man? We have to get you into a booth. We got to record some stuff. This is amazing. Bruce found that Ted was very difficult to work with. And the reason he was very difficult to work with is any time that he got any sort of money, it would typically go up his arm. Uh, Ted Hawkins was a massive heroin addict. Ted, Ted Hawkins was a massive alcoholic. Ted Hawkins was every kind of substance abuse, every kind of mental, uh, lots of mental illnesses he had. And so Bruce tried working with him. It took him quite a while to get this recording. And if you listen to the recordings, it's rough. Not, but that sounds like a bad thing. Um, I would recommend to, to go listen to Watch Your Step. Watch Your Step, which was recorded uh, in, so it took him about two years, 71, 72. They were recording it. And you remember me saying that it was released in 82, right? Yeah. You remember how I said Ted Hawkins is a nomad? So Ted Hawkins, when they kind of get done recording, they aren't even done fully recording, but Ted Hawkins disappears. He's got a little bit of cash. He's got a little bit of scratch. He takes off. He ends up in jail. Big shocker. Uh, possession. All that sort of good stuff. He's in California in jail, and then he's in Chicago in jail. And, I mean, we're talking... Bruce could not find this man. Bruce literally couldn't find him for 10 years. In 81 or 82, he finally resurfaces and Bruce runs to him and says, please sign off on this so we can release this. 
And of course, Ted Hawkins does. Sure, why wouldn't he? He wants his music out there. So through the label Rounder, uh, Bruce releases this. It has the opposite. We talked about Stone Temple Pilots and how the fans loved it. Tons of fans. Shit tons of fans. Critics hate it. This is the opposite. This doesn't sell shit. Nobody buys this album. Critics go insane for it. Critics love it. And if you listen, it's very obvious why. This sounds like a 40s recording it's rough it's staticky all you hear is the beautiful gravelly voice of ted hawkins and his extremely simple playing the the biggest part of watch your step is the the emotion behind these songs you know watch your step is such a amazing first track which is so uh, such an old school blues song. This is straight from Howlin' and Wolf's in your muddy waters. Like I said, it's, it's exactly what you would expect. Watch your step before you stumble and fall. You promised daddy to love and sugar and die and all. How'd you take it in easy, baby? With the one night affair, hop, skipping and jumping, baby. Watch your step like you're supposed to do. Can't meditate on you, sister, and your boyfriend too. I caught you kissing and hugging the dog, all dressed in black. But there's other stuff on here that is just way more sensitive and way more vulnerable. He has songs like Put in a Cross. Oh, I wish I stayed home with the one I love, sincere and true. But I wasn't satisfied with one, people. I tried concentrating on two. Wait, let me warn all my friends. Don't be greedy. Don't be doggish. Don't be deceitful. Don't be selfish. Big-eyed and unsatisfied and hoggish. It won't last somewhere down the line, people. Putting a cross every time. Go on, go on, I want to hear all this stuff about who I love the best. Which is, you got to remember, this guy's been, he has been performing music for his livelihood in busking. And he has had people trying to work with him in albums. And this, this song, I'm sure this also has to do with just basic society of the way that certain people treat him. It, this song, it, you just have to listen to it. The song that actually ended up getting big from this album is Sorry You're Sick. Though tears of sorrow won't do you no good I'd be your doctor if only I could What do you want from the liquor store? Something sour or something sweet buy you all that your belly can hold you can be sure you won't suffer no more i swim the ocean or the deepest canal to get to you darling just to make you well there's no place on earth i would have hastened to go to cool the fever this i want you to know what do you want from the liquor store something sour or something sweet i'm only playing a part of it but this whole song is essentially He's singing to this woman that he's sorry about how 
bad she feels about and you don't really know if if it's a mental thing or if she's literally dying or that sort of thing or if her heart is just breaking but there is a there's a social awareness there because his response in that song is what what do you want from the liquor store it's what what can i get you as a substance to ease your pain i will i will buy you every drop of shit to get your mind out it is it is a heartbreaking song absolutely heartbreaking but there's so much beauty and stuff like that and this album is all that now there is one of the things that critics started having a problem with and we'll get to this later in but an example is on this album there is a version of Watch Your Step, which is a full band Watch Your Step. And it's much more of a 50s, 60s, well-produced, full band thing, which is so much different from the rough acoustic guitar, gravelly voice Ted Hawkins. And I'll tell you, I don't like it. I really don't. Um, I, I prefer what he was doing by himself. And so did a lot of other critics. We'll get to that. But anyway, this album comes out. Americans do not listen to it. They do not care. And I don't know. I couldn't find much on it. I don't know if it was marketing. I don't know what it was. But what happens is, is Rolling Stone, which was a very legitimate magazine at that time, gave it a five-star review. Now, Rolling Stone back then did not give out five stars. It did not. It happened like once every three years. Like it just didn't happen. And they gave this a five-star review. So because of that, it started slowly to become a bit of a critical darling. And Europe ate it up. It gets to Europe and kind of the same thing that happened back in the 50s. Europeans hear this southern bluesy, but, all, but these, these kind of rock chords almost, like lamenting rock chords, and they eat it up. They fall in love with Ted Hawkins, and Ted Hawkins is a thing in Europe. So Ted Hawkins starts splitting his time between Europe and America in true nomad fashion. He's in and out of jail here. He's in and out of jail there. He does cut another album with the same label, with Bruce Bromberg again in 85, so three years later, called Happy Hour. And they're figuring they can bounce off the success that they had in Europe, bring it to America, and finally America will appreciate this blues that they've found uh once again does not go terrible reviews does not do well at all or sorry not terrible reviews it got okay reviews it got fine reviews it's just nobody buys it nobody buys this there she is in another man's arm slow dancing across the floor so this is happy how Two drinks for the price of one People laughing and having fun What a great place to be Welcome to Happy House But at this time, Ted Hawkins has kind of found his thing that he loves to do. That thing that he loves to do is he has found California and he is in love with it. He has found Venice Beach 
and he is in love with it. So he becomes the turn the milk crate onto the side, sit down and strum my acoustic guitar and sing on the boardwalks of Venice Beach. Man, this is his thing. This is what he loves to do. And the other occurring theme that I'll talk about, I already talked about one, I will talk about this a lot too, is this is what he always came back to. He just always ended up busking on Venice Beach. He attributed a lot of the how his voice would get gravelier over time to the sand of singing on Venice, Venice Beach every day, all day. But this is also when the shit really starts to hit the fan. He ends up in jail for 18 months on a three-year charge, and this is, it's an indecent exposure charge, but it is also listed as child molestation. And uh, I couldn't find, I tried really hard to find details. I mean, kind of, I was, when I found it, I was really depressed. So I maybe didn't search as hard as I wanted to. Um, It looks like from what I gathered, it was that he was having a drug meltdown, like a nervous breakdown while he was high on Venice Beach and took all his clothes off and started running around screaming at people and stuff like that. And that's why it's indecent exposure was grabbing people. It didn't matter their age was grabbing people yelling at them. So he ends up doing 18 months for this very, very terrible crime. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's a tough one. We've had to deal with that a lot on this podcast and I'm fucking sick of it. I'm sick of artists trying to give us reasons to not love their art. It's fucking hard, man. It's hard when, you know, when we did the finale last year, had no idea, had no idea, but we do deaths. We talk about people that pass away that year. And I hand them out based on who I think that the people enjoy. And, I, and I'm usually pretty spot on because it's not, it's not that hard to figure out. You know, give evil the rockers, give Rachel the 70s rock, and uh, give me the important people. JK. But I gave Rachel Gordon Lightfoot. Amazing. Amazing singer. Amazing songwriter. I, she, she had to love him. I, I figured she must. And she did. What I didn't know is that he ended up in jail for fucking reconstructing his girlfriend's face. Just bashing her face in. Um, so I give Rachel this artist that she's loved her whole life. And she has to read about that which now there's going to be this weird fucking complex thing in the back of her head of, am I even allowed to like this anymore? And that's, that's so unfair. That's such a terrible feeling. And that's exactly what I felt yesterday when I found this. I don't know what I'm supposed to fucking do with that. And I'm supposed to record this episode where I was just going to praise this man and beg people to listen to this amazingness. And now I don't know what to do. He can't erase history. He's still an incredibly important part of my life. And that's just the way it is. Between 85 and 94, he, um, they, they, two people come out with, 
shit with him. There's On the Boardwalk at Venice Beach, and there's I Love You Too through Thorpe Minister and PT Records. One of them came out in 86, one of them in 89. Here's the big problem with those is Hawkins was half involved, and he made no money off of them. Uh, but this is the ongoing problem with producer would find Ted. Producer would see Ted playing. Producer would hear Suffer No More flip out and say, my God, we've got to get this guy would do everything they could too. would see that Ted Hawkins is basically impossible to work with. And then would just kind of come out with a project that they worked on as best they could until it was dead. And then Hawkins would disappear again. Hawkins, uh, spent a lot of time in Europe at this point because he was, he was known there. He was a bit of a celebrity. He was making money. He was playing bars. He was playing clubs. He was doing pretty well. He got deported because shocker drug charges. He got kicked back to the United States on drug charges and that's his life. That's basically his life for 10 years from 85 to 94 until finally the great Tony Berg discovers him. Tony Berg. We're talking Beck motorcycle club, black rebel motorcycle, not just he did a motorcycle club, black rebel motorcycle club. He had done cool session work for like the Muppets and stuff like that. This uh, Tony Berg's fucking awesome. He finds him. He's a producer for Geffen records and he says we have to get you one legit studio album please for the love of god let's do this and you know what they do it they start to work in la on the next hundred years and that's what we will talk about when we're back i had a strange conversation my baby that your next lover's gonna be the blues I'm going a little slow on that that's fine Bill Dahl of all music said the next hundred years by Ted Hawkins was a far weaker outing than what came before largely due to a plotting band unwisely inserted behind Hawkins that tends to distract rather than enhance his impassioned vocals and rich acoustic guitar strumming. Really? 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 You remember when I we were talking about his first album, Watch Your Step, and there's that song at the end where the band is playing, it just doesn't hit home as much. Well, that's kind of the big complaint that any time he got in the studio with a full band that he'd get. And I understand that. I do. But for anybody that listens to the next hundred years and isn't floored with this album, I I don't know what to do for you. I don't. This album kicks off with Strange Conversation. And it is Ted Hawkins with his acoustic guitar and his black glove. Oh yeah, Ted Hawkins played the guitar with a black glove at all times. Cool, right? Not a big deal. On his fret hand. The dude played with a glove on his fret hand. His whole life. Crazy shit. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Strange Conversation kicks in with his beautiful, soft, acoustic 
the way that he played chords was just so wonderful. And then you get the the ooh background vocals, and then Hawkins' voice kicks in with that I had a string. If you aren't all in already at that point, you need to care more about music. This whole song, the electric guitar riffs are just so impeccable. Ted Hawkins screaming, baby, in the choruses. The Where You Belong, uh, going back and forth with the guitar towards the end. This is a perfect studio song. And for somebody to listen to this and think, oh man, I miss the old Ted Hawkins. It's, you're so wrong. This is so beautiful. And it goes right into big things. Amazing lyrics. It's his, he loved doing the percussion slaps on his acoustic when he'd strum. It's Ted Hawkins. And there is some beautiful uh, synth string work on here. Into There Stands the Glass. There stands the- Which that song just opens with Ted wailing there stands the glass and if you listen to there stands the glass it, the lyrics are once again it's the heartbreakers lament it's the hank williams johnny cash that we all love there stands the glass that will ease all my pain whisk my troubles away it's my first one today fill it up to the brim there will not be a more romantic album than this for me ever it just, it's not going to happen. And then we get to song four, Biloxi, which is one of the most beautiful songs you're ever going to hear. And the boy will dig a pool beside the ocean. He sees creatures from a I could go song by song and talk in detail about, you know, Biloxi and the amazing, cool chord that he keeps strumming in it. That doom bap, doom bap. That you will never hear a chord played like that in any other song. It's insane. And that mixed with his voice, his voice, man. And you get into groovy little things. There's a freight on here. Greed eyed girl, ladder of success. What about his rendition of as long as I can see the light. Put a candle in the window. Cause I feel I've gotta move. Though I'm gone, going, I'll be coming home soon. Long as I can see the light. Pack my bags and let's get moving. Look, I, I'm usually one that will bang the drum that 
covers are not as good as the original. And I understand that it's really hard to fuck with a John Fogarty song. But Ted Hawkins' rendition of As Long As I Can See The Light is... It's a masterpiece. It is. Guess I've got that old traveling bone. But I feel I'm leaving alone. And the only other song that I want to say talk about is the good and the bad. If you're not going to give this album a chance, if it's just not your thing, at least listen to the good and the bad. That to me, that is everything perfect about Ted Hawkins. It is everything beautiful. It is everything amazing. This album from front to back is perfect. This is an 11 out of 10 album for me. And I don't know what to do with it now. Um, I was going to have a DL's 10 out of 10 about this eventually with Rachel and Evil. I don't know if that's fair. I don't know if it's fair now to bring them into the very bad charge that he has on his record. I don't know what to do, but... I can tell you that this album is about a half hour long and it's perfection. I don't know if it's going to end up on the 10, 10 out of 10 wall. Uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't. I shouldn't say that. In the scheme of things, it, sh it shouldn't matter. But it matters to me. It really does. And it didn't matter because at 56, this beautiful man that would just continue to busk at Venice Beach. That's all I wanted to do. It came out with one of the more perfect records that I've ever heard. And it did well. It did really well in Europe. It kind of kicked stuff off for him. He was making good money. He had a couple of just beautiful interviews one of which i tried really hard to get permission to play a, a snippet from it and i couldn't i couldn't get in contact with anybody so i'm still gonna play it uh to them if you want me to take it out i definitely will just let me know but you know what i tried and i don't care this deserves to be heard um there's a beautiful interview from him uh in 94 talking about the next hundred years, who he wished that he could play with. You know, if you listen to a lot of this music, it's very country. And he does. He cites a lot of uh, Woody Guthrie and Johnny Cash and people like that. He, you know, Sam Cooke. He was a big Sam Cooke fan. And it really all makes sense when you listen to his music. I'm a busker, you know, and um, when I see another busker, uh -huh. I swallow hard. Yeah. You know, with the want of t to get out there and busk with him. But... Um, I'm counting my blessings. I'm glad that now that, that I'm out of the moral clay and my foot is set on solid rock. So what else has changed in your life? A lot of people know who you are who didn't know who you were. And you're playing all these shows. And we should talk about the fact that you opened for Michelle Schacht a couple of nights ago. What was that like? Oh, uh, well, I, I went in kind of timid and scared because uh, I knew that I was among big, big wheels, you know. Um, Papa Staple, um, Michelle Shock, you know, and uh, Mabel Staple, all those people. And I felt like the underdog because they had the big bands and all that beautiful music. And I just had just me and the guitar, you know, and um, I went in there shaking in my boots. Mm -hmm. You know, I was the first one, you know, how cold the audience is at first. Right. And um, 
I turned from that timid uh, person to and Ted Hawkins took over. And, and I, ever since I sit down, from the first moment I sit down, I had him in the palm of my hand. Really? You know, the fear left. I don't know. Somehow I call up on Ted Hawkins, and Ted Hawkins, when he come, he come <laughs> doing his thing. You know? <laughs> yeah. So that must have been exciting. Now, was that the biggest audience you've ever played in front of? I played at a um, place in London called the Hammersmith Odeon. Mm-hmm. I looked like a little ant on that big stage, <laughs> you know, that big place. And I did well. I um, I was bringing on a, a guy by the name of uh, John Lee Hooker. We might know who he is. Yes. (laughs) Next hundred years comes out, does well. He's he's still him. He still has his troubles. He talks a lot about how thankful he is for. He talks a lot about thankful he is for jail, for prisons. You know, three squares a day in a cot. How he needed that at times. And then in 1995, less than a year after he came out in the next hundred years, he died of a stroke. And that was his life. At 57, he had come out the next hundred years at 56. He had finally done it. He had finally come out with what I think is a perfect album. This perfect artist that was this amazing blend between blues and country and just had the he had that voice. He had that voice that blues singers kill for. He came out with the perfect album and then he died. And that's Ted Hawkins. I think that he got the right amount of big. He did well in Europe. He had fun going to Europe, but his heart, like even when he was successful in Europe and he could have stayed there and he could have made good money and he could have been loved. He wanted to go back. He, he wanted to be sitting on a milk crate playing guitar on Venice Beach. That's what he wanted to do. And that's what he did. He did it after he came out with this album. He didn't give a shit. He didn't give a shit about the, what money he had in his pocket. And a lot of that is because of drugs. Once you're that deep into addiction, you're never going to be on top. You never are. But that's what he loved to do. And he just kept doing it. I There's just so much poetry and romanticism and um, dissection of the human condition in his story. You should all know about Ted Hawkins. I know, I know the people that listen to this, and I know how much you love music. And if you love music, you should know Ted Hawkins. And that's about it. Hopefully you go listen to the next hundred years and you love it. I understand. I don't know. I don't know what you do with the information I gave you. Honestly, don't. And that gets to be up to you. That's the beauty of it is I don't have to decide it. But what you can do is you can come back next week. Next week, we do touch very briefly on this album because no spoilers. It's one of my favorite albums that came out in 1994. It's one of my favorite albums of all time. And next week, Evil and I start our who knows how many parts dissection of the music of 1994. That is right. Next week, Evil and I uh, are starting on the first quarter of 1994. And yeah, three months of music. How good can it be? Well, Tori Amos, Nine Inch Nails, Green Day, little album by Soundgarden. That's four of the, 
Uh, the the debut albums just on the first quarter is a beast. It's and you know what else is the second quarter and the third and the fourth quarter. We start our dissection of 1994. We do our first two parts on the first quarter next week. I don't know how many parts it's going to end up being. Hopefully, we can do it in eight. I believe in us, and that's coming next week. Um, I, I really, really appreciate everybody checking in on these, uh, listening to these episodes. These are a little harder to do, but they're they mean a lot to me, and it's it's a spoiled thing because I get to kind of talk about whatever the hell I want. Um, go back and listen to Rachel and I talk about how to rank albums. Go back before that, where Sven came on the pod to talk about Dave. We got some cool things coming up, okay? We've got an interview very... I already did the interview, so it's actually fucking happening. That's not, I already did an interview uh, with one the producer of one of the albums that I just talked about. Fantastic interview. Got to ask him about some huge artists that he's worked with. We have a listener supported coming up. Uh, to talk about that same album listener that uh, has been very important who is who actually showed me a project that has meant a lot to me over the last couple of years we've got and then we've got another solo episode by me and uh, I don't know how that one's gonna go uh, who knows you might all start list, stop listening after that one I hope not but you might I have some things to say about uh, what the fuck is going on with this industry? Um, just music in general. The industry, the podcasts, the people, the fans, the, the artists. It's just something that's going to be talked about. Okay? We are officially on press for Treefort Music Fest in March in Boise. That's going to be fun. Our dear friend Evil is not going to join us. He's going to be busy in Puerto Rico like a loser. But... We are essentially going to come out with a two-parter. Hopefully, it'll be done by April. It's essentially Rachel and DL do Tree Fort. Our dear friend Sven is coming in. Got him a press pass. We're going to do a little bit of a, a little docu, little vlog, if you will, on a couple days at Tree Fort. It's going to be a blast. The artists there are going to be amazing. Uh, Kay Flay is going to be there. We talked about Kay Flay last year. Built Spill. Is obviously going to be there. Who do we get to talk to, Doug Marsh? Who I don't know. Uh, it's actually it's a fantastic festival that has really found their way to make the festival more about the city that it's in. Which God, when festivals do that, it's just spot on, isn't it? So we're really excited for that. We've also hey, this is episode one seventy one. We've we've got episode two hundred coming up this year, and we have a couple ideas for what we want to do. So stick around. Tell your friends, tell them to go head out and check out the videos. You might like the videos. Yeehaw. Firstcoursefirst.com at firstcoursefirstpod. Yeah, I guess I'll end this with a little bit of a sound clip from Ted Hawkins. And I want to reiterate what Evil said to me, which I just thought was extremely poignant. Uh, and I really liked how he ordered it to me, even though I'm going to butcher it. Where he essentially said that he was really glad that I was still talking about this because it almost feels like a win for the bad things in the world if I don't. This art has meant a lot to me since I was a little kid, since I was 12 years old and I heard this album, this or 13 or whatever it was. This album means so much to me. And 
at the age I'm at now to find something out that maybe should taint that, um, that we don't allow that to happen. That we don't allow, if it did happen, and if this thing is true, then I can't let this asshole taint something that has meant so much to me in my life. And I very, very much agree with and appreciate that sentiment. Now, is, is there bias there because I just don't want to have to say, fuck, I can't listen to this anymore? There probably is. I, you know, I'm not going to lie. The, my instinct when I first read that is to try to weave around, well, look at, read the, what this says and this says. I mean, it seems like this didn't happen or this... We shouldn't have to be responsible for getting fucking sucked into that. I shouldn't have to follow an artist every day and figure out what they did and what they didn't do and if they're going to do something to where I can't listen to their shit anymore. This has nothing to do with cancel culture. This has to do with what I should be allowed to enjoy as a person that has done nothing wrong. And hopefully you guys agree. If not, let me know. This is... This is Maybe it's another conversation we need to have that we kind of tried to have towards the finale last year, but it ended up going a different direction. And it's something that everybody feels very differently about, proven by those episodes. The intentions are good. I think you all know that. We love you all. We want to give you what you want. And hopefully that's what you want. Uh, everybody, we love you all so much. You are the best. Uh, good night. And good luck. Good fucking luck. Still, I'm alive, you know, and um, um, I didn't throw up my hands and say, you know, forget it, you know, and um, going to jail. If I hadn't went to jail, I wouldn't know how to read. Really? You know, uh, I, I, don't, let's not put down going to jail so much. <laughs> you know, the, the, uh, I got a chance to get three squares a day, you know, uh, when I was in the school for little bad boys. Right. You know, and they, they taught me the value of, of, of money, you know, and, and the, the value of work you know, to get the money. I didn't know about those things before I went there. Ted, what would you like to do that you haven't done yet musically? Are there things you have floating around in your head that you'd like to do that well, are um, different? Well, the reason why I'm working so hard, I'm trying to reach the pinnacle of success so that I, I can make enough money to feed some hungry, fill up some hungry bellies, you know, because there are quite a few hungry bellies out there, you know, and I've been hungry and, and I was like that for many, many years. So I know how those guys feel. And I hope that some kind of way that I can make enough money, I'm not going to make it all. You know, uh, I know I'm going to die. I don't, it don't make sense to, to die and leave it here for uh, your enemies to play around with. So you might as well, while you're living, do something with it while you got it. Because you're not going to stay here forever. I think, Ted, you'll be able to help a lot of people. I hope so. I think you've already, especially the homeless. I think you've already started. <laughs>